When I was 10, I joined a little league softball team in our city. Um, my team was brand new. It was an expansion team. It was the only brand new team in our league, and we were terrible, terrible. Our first year, we went 0-20. I mean, it was really a perfect record if you think about it. It was just perfect in the wrong direction. And there's a little something in me. I, I like good competition. I love competitive sports. And that, that was a little bit of a challenge, you know, when you go 0-20. And, uh, and you just, you know, it's just we were, we were bad. We were that bad. We go into the next year. So I'm 11 years old. And a couple of the folks from our team had kind of graduated. It was a 10- to 12-year-old league. And um, kind of the 12-year-olds moved up, and then we took in a new batch of 10-year-olds. One of the new players on our team was my cousin, Christina. And I think I've said here before, I, I'm from a big, fat Greek family, so cousins aren't cousins necessarily. Cousins are like siblings. Um, in, in a family like mine, it's not like, oh, I have this distant cousin. This is the person who every night almost during the summer, I would spend the night at her house or she would spend the night at my house. My aunt could discipline me like she was my mom. There are very little boundaries in that kind of a family, but a whole lot of love and craziness, and it was really great. But this is my cousin who joined our team who was more like a sister and really my best friend. We had gotten into a couple, couple more games of the second season, and we were still losing. I, I think this was maybe our third or fourth game of the season, and we had lost the first two or three, whatever number it is. And I'm a bit of a holistic thinker, so I'm not thinking we're 0-2. I'm thinking we're 0-22, really, you know, for, for the, the length of time that I've been on this team. And we were coming toward the end of a game, and we were starting to feel that momentum shift. Kind of like, was it fourth quarter last week? You know, there was a momentum shift, right? It just was a, right, something shifted. And, you know, and we were starting to feel that momentum shift. And I think we were down, it was right at the end of the game. Our team was up, and we had, there was one out, and I think somebody was on base, and my cousin got up to bat. She got up to bat, and I don't remember if she got walked. She probably did, but she ends up on first base, and we're thinking, we're like, Oh, we could do this thing. Like, all we need to do is, I think, you know, tie it and then go on ahead, and we've got enough, you know, runners on base. The batter hits the ball. She hits a not-so-long fly ball into right field. My cousin, I'm watching this from the third base dugout. My cousin, who's on first base as a runner, who, by the way, wasn't, wasn't majorly athletic. Um, she, she was on the team, but it, it, ath uh, athletics weren't her passion like they were mine. The ball goes out into right field, and my cousin starts to run thinking, okay, it's going out there, and I can get to second. And as she's running, and I can still see her, she's running from first to second, and everybody in the dugout and probably everybody on our side of the stands were yelling, go back. Because any of you who know baseball or softball know that all the right fielder has to do is catch it, toss it to first base, double play, we're done. And that's exactly what happened. I'm watching this thing. I can still see her running with all of her heart. All of her heart. She's going, and I, and I see, and she gets to second base, and she kind of looks up like, I made it. And like everybody's walking off the field. And, and next thing you know, we are 0-23. <laughs> Losing, though, going 0-23, fostered some character in me that I don't think I otherwise would have had. I learned that you show up and you keep playing. 
with all your heart. I learned that you practice like you're going to win. I learned there was just something about that that kind of double season, the 0 and 23. I think eventually, I think we lost a couple more games and then eventually won some that year. But I learned something about you keep showing up and keep playing. And there was something about the formation of my character that happened during that time that was so important to me. I, I genuinely think I'm, I'm a person of greater compassion now. Um, I have a, a greater perspective. I have, a, I have a gratitude for winning, but I also have a compassion. Uh, when you work and you, and you work so hard and you don't make it, uh, last month my family met in Texas, our, our favorite, our beloved football team, uh, was in the national championship, FCS championship, and we won for like the eighth time in a, in a row, eight out of nine years, and I was so happy to win. I mean, we celebrated, but I also felt so, I felt for the other team. Every time I saw somebody in the other colors, I just wanted to hug them. I was like, I know, I know what it's like, you know. I mean, there was just something that had happened to me. I, I think it's made me a bit, I think it made me a better pastor to college students because we would play volleyball, and inevitably, I'd have someone on my team who, when the ball was hit to them, they would go to bump like this, and I, I wanted to say, the ball is this big. Your arms are this wide. Can we do a little math here? But no, you don't say that. What you say is, good try. And you're thinking, not on my team anymore. No, not really. Not really. I, I, learned, uh, I learned that relationship matters more. In, in all honesty, it was a good thing that it was my cousin who was that one who just kept running and didn't, didn't go back. I, I don't remember ever having to defend her, but I would have, because she was one of the dearest people to my soul. I lose differently now. I'm not a sore loser. I lose differently. I also win differently. About a year and a half after that game, um, I was at the end of the next season, I was invited onto a team uh, that just kept winning. It was a, a postseason team. We won all over California. Next thing we know, we're in Arizona. And we won in Arizona. Next thing you know, we're playing in the World Series of Girls Softball. And we won. We were like the best in the nation for our 12-year-old league. I, I lose differently, but I also win differently now. And I think a lot of it had to do with Owen 23. I'm told that the early Methodists, when the Methodist movement started, I'm told that they used to greet each other by saying, how is it with your soul? Which is probably a little different than, how you doing? Fine. Okay, bye. You know. How is it with your soul? I would submit to us that success is not always the best mentor for our soul. And I don't think in a church like this I'd really get a lot of pushback on that. Because um, I, I, I know some of you have walked through um, seasons of grief and of pain, and you know that those seasons have formed you. But I'd like to dig in a little bit today on some of the ways that we are formed and transformed in our relationship with God. We're going to look very briefly, we're going to touch on Romans 2 and uh, 2 Corinthians 3. I, I didn't realize this, uh, I, I had this message on my heart before Matt spoke last week. I actually feel like there's some, it's, it's a good follow-up to some of the things he shared, and I'll, I'll lay out why, but Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul then goes on to tell the Corinthian church, he says, with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Conform there means to assume a certain form. It, it, it comes from a root that means to accompany or companion. 
And it's like he's saying, don't accompany, don't be a companion of the ways of the world, but instead be transformed. A lot of us, a lot of you guys who are a little bit deeper in, in the, the biblical language, you recognize that that word there for transformed, the Greek word is where we understand metamorphosis, like it's the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's, it's, it means to change after being with or to change in form in keeping with an inner reality, to change outwardly in keeping with an inner reality. And boy, that sounds a lot like the work of God in our lives, doesn't it? And so we're going to look, as I said, a little bit in that. But I would ask us, do we really believe we can be transformed? Do we really think that God can do a deep work in us of transformation, or are we relegated to always be as impatient as I am today? (laughs) Because Lord help us all when I go to Walmart, you know? (laughs) Dallas Willard, the uh, author and philosopher, philosophy professor at USC, um, said that transformation or spiritual formation is the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self to be like the inner world or the inner being of Christ. In other words, I want to look like Jesus on the inside. I want to look like Jesus on the inside. My pastor back in D.C. would often say, um, anybody can act like a Christian, but it's how we react that demonstrates if we've really been transformed. I I have recognized that in my own life as I drive through Springfield. Um, About a year ago, I was driving, and someone looked like he was about to hit me, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he looked at me so angry. He thought I was saying something to him. I, I really wasn't saying anything bad. And he looked at me with this very angry look, and he flipped me off here in Springfield. I mean, I'm used to that in Washington, D.C., but he, I mean, Springfield, right? And he, and he flipped me off, and I was like, it's been a while since I've been given the one-fingered salute, but here in Springfield, right? And, and I remember my immediate response was to pray for him, and I don't say that because, I just say that because, like, that's the work of God in my life. <laughs> that is not my natural self, is when someone gives you the one-fingered salute to go back and to pray. I was like, God, you have done something in my life. I want to be a Christian on the inside. And so let's zoom out for a few minutes this morning and ask, how are we formed? Because, friends, I think that formation is happening whether we recognize it or not. Um, My experience of Owen 23 formed me without my realizing it. I look back now and think, wow, I'm really thankful for that formation. But I guess the larger question for our lives today is what forms us? Now, what does that mean for us? Our small group, Matt made reference to it, is reading this really great book. We just started it last, a couple weeks ago, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I feel like I could just give an altar call right now on that one. You know what I mean? Do you need ruthless elimination of hurry in your life? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And... And um, it's just, it's such a really good book. He makes a couple statements in here that bothered me. He said, um, he quoted a couple stats. He said, there was some research, I think it was 2016, the average person touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day. Pause on that for a second. (laughs) 2,617 times a day. That's just wild. That has got to form us somehow. Somehow that's got to be forming us. They also said in there that we, um, here in the U.S., we are introduced to 4,000, about 4,000 advertisements per day. Again, I've just got to say, how does that form us? My, one of my best friends, her 10-year-old daughter has just recently started wrestling through body image issues at 10 But could it be any wonder if she sees 4,000 ads a day? 
And so, you know, these are the things that we think, oh, well, really, what is it that's forming us? I know in my own experience, as I've been reading this book and we've started this conversation, um, I have been recognizing over the last couple years that my attention span is not what it used to be. Um, you know, it's trouble when, you know, you think, wow, Twitter went from 140 characters to 280, and oh, that's just so long. You know, how am I going to read 280 characters? I, I just wonder at times, like, what's, what, is, what are some of my habits doing to form me when I say that I want to be a person of depth, but I find myself skimming the top a lot? What is it that forms us? And I'm, I, I'm finding that I'm not alone. I'm, I'm in a program, a study program, where I'm, this is actually an area I'm going to press in on, some of the digital distraction and everything. I, I need it for my own life. But um, I'm realizing there are so many, there are a myriad of books out there. People are talking about these things, and it tells me that I'm not alone in feeling like it's easy just to skim the top. When we really want, when I really want to be a person of depth. So our questions that we ask ourselves must include, again, how are we being formed? And in light of that, what is God's invitation to us? And this is where, just I want to touch on Matt's message uh, last week. Mm -hmm. Matt spoke on encountering the sacred and, and talked quite a bit about um, placing ourselves before God to encounter him through spiritual practices. Um, Matt, I think you talked specifically about community and worship and prayer. Um, you said something in there, uh, putting ourselves before God in spiritual practices forms us. And it's really true. I, I may not, in those times when we feel like we can't drum up something, we still put ourselves in that place because there is something about that that forms us. I may not feel like worshiping. I may not feel like coming on a Sunday, but I still show up on Sunday and I still worship, and that transforms me into being a worshiper as opposed to someone who just didn't, couldn't quite drum up. The, the, does that make sense? We, you guys remember he talked about that. Even though we don't feel it, we still will worship, so we can be transformed even when we can't drum up the emotions. I, I referenced Dallas Willard a couple minutes ago, and I want to come back to him. As I mentioned, he was a philosophy professor at USC. He died a handful of years ago, but really rich. Uh, he's one of the leading voices on Christian spiritual formation. I would encourage you to spend some time in some of his work. Um, it is, it's deep, it's rich, it's not light reading. Um, but he, he introduced something that he called the golden triangle of spiritual formation or golden triangle of spiritual growth and says that really all of our spiritual formation happens based on these three sides that he, uh, that he introduced. And um, there's the exercises. That he doesn't use this language, but, but in our ministry we use it just with students. There are the exercises the encounters, and the experiences. And again, Matt touched so brilliantly last week on the exercises. These are the ways that we put ourselves before God to say, God, um, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to grow in my relationship with you. I want you to form me. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to spend time in community. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn what it means to worship, where it's actually worship and not just singing about myself, <laughs> you know, about all the things I like and I feel, but actually worshiping God, you know. Um, and so you have those things that are the exercises. Willard would call the encounters those times when God just, God just does what God does in our lives. And, and I think probably many of us have those times when God inclines something or whispers something or reveals something and we weren't necessarily digging in or praying or or something but God just shows up I I think sometimes having extended times of 
of prayer ministry or what we a lot of times have known as altar ministry. God just tends to show up. I know for me, I, I have to be reminded sometimes when I'm praying with a leader or I'm sorry, meeting with a leader. Um, I spend a lot of time on video meeting with leaders across the country. I, I know sometimes at the very end I need to pause and say, you know what, that one thing you brought up, let's just pray right now. Because maybe God wants to bring some revelation. Maybe God wants to bring some healing. Sometimes God just does what God does, and that's part of what forms us. So we have the exercises, we have the encounters, and then also we have the experiences, which is what we're going to dig a little bit more into for the next few minutes. The experiences or ordinary events of life are the trials, the testings that we experience. Um, these are the relationships of our life, which aren't necessarily trials, but, you know, I would imagine that all of you who have kids uh, know that, like, like dealing with some of this day-to-day -day stuff with the little ones forms you, right? It helps you or could help you become a more patient person um, or, you know, or perhaps, perhaps not. One of the quotes that he says in this book is, hurry and love are incompatible. And that's just another one where we go, oh, Jesus, help my soul, <laughs> you know? And, and at least in some of the conversations I've had with people, they're like, okay, hurry and love are incompatible. I feel that when I'm rushing my family out the door. So these are the day-to-day -day things, the challenges of, of life or the experiences of life that form us maybe in ways we don't even recognize. How many of you have ever met somebody who's gone through a deep trial and they've come through that embittered? They just come through, and you can tell. They, they're just angry about life. They're angry about what has happened to them. And then how many of you have, have seen somebody or know somebody who's gone through a painful, difficult trial, and somehow they come out, and their heart is sweet and tender toward Jesus and toward people? They're living out the James 1 thing of considering it joy when you face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, which ultimately makes us mature and complete. Those are the people who walk through those experiences of life, who've kept their somehow with the grace of God, kept their hearts tender and have walked through. They have been formed. Both people have been formed. But the ones, was when they walk through and count it joy, they have been formed in a way that helps them become a little bit more like Jesus. One of the pastors at my church back in, in D.C. said one time, he said, don't curse the things or the people that cause you to have to press into God. Oh, that's so good. Don't curse the things or the people that cause you to have to press into God. These folks who, who live that way, they, they, they allowed what was a trial to form them by helping them press into God. They are formed and transformed to look more like Jesus. They look, as my friend says, they look more Jesus-y, and I want to look more Jesus-y in my days. I think, friends, that we are, are formed by the experiences of life in countless ways. I'm going to land on two here for the last couple minutes. Because um, I, I, we, we experience these things, we experience these trials, we engage in our relationships, but two maybe unusual ways that I, I think we are formed and transformed. And I apologize in advance because I'm about to quote Mick Jagger. Now, um, I think last time I was here, I quoted Amy Poehler. <laughs> Matt quotes Augustine. I quote Jagger. All right, I apologize. Yes. Um, I, I, think, I think that Jagger was right when he said you can't always get what you want. Um, I would then add to that and say we shouldn't always get what we want. 
We shouldn't always get what we want. I would submit that an unfulfilled longing or a wanting is good for us. Wanting is good for us. I understand that the word tells us the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And I don't think we necessarily, I don't think we lack in what we need, especially in, here in the U.S. We have more than we need. But I, as, I, as I look at the relationships in my life, I can't think of anybody who doesn't have something deep in their soul that they want that they do not have. And I think if I have everything I want, I don't want him as much. Excess forms us in a way, I think, that makes us more complacent. I know it does for me. When I have everything I want, it makes me more complacent. There's a passage in Deuteronomy, and it's, um, it's Moses uh, is, Deuteronomy 32, it's Moses walking through um, the history of God's faithfulness to Israel. And this is the time after they were set free from slavery, but before they came into the promised land. So they're in this in-between time, very much like us. You know, we've been, we've been set free into Christ, but we're not yet in the promised land of our hope. Uh, so we're in that middle as well. And, and Moses says about Israel, it says, but Jeshurun, and talking about Israel, Grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God. Forsook. Then he forsook God who made him. NIV says it this way. I, I like this. Israel grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, he became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his savior. Excess was not helpful for their spiritual lives. And as I said, everybody I know has something that they are longing for. Um, and, and even wrestling, and I, I say that carefully because I, I don't want to be flippant about this, even some deep disappointments that are genuine, unfulfilled longings, and, I, and I, I'm careful because there are some deep disappointments that are really tender. I got a text from a friend of mine earlier today who's mid-40s and single, and she, there's a deep disappointment in her heart there, and, and I'm very careful with that, and I, I get that. I also get, I, 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 um, I saw a couple weeks ago, Steve, you put on Facebook, it was the wintry mix week, it was ice and sleet and snow and cold, and I think you said, and I wrote it down here, tell me again why I moved from Central California to Missouri, right? And I almost wrote, amen, mister, you know what I mean? Because I, I, you know, also being a, a California girl, you guys, there are times when I genuinely long for home. I absolutely think I'm where God wants me here, but there are times when I, man, I miss the smell of the flowers that I grew up with that I can't find anywhere else. I miss, for the love of all that is holy, I miss In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> I see that hand, you know what I mean? I, I, I miss really good Mexican food and palm trees, and I miss my family, and I miss... And there are times when I feel that longing for home. Every once in a while, I'm like, Jesus, if you loved me. <laughs> I miss living near the beach. I miss the sunset over the Pacific. I miss those things. But there is something that every time I kind of walk through a little moment of that, that the Lord reminds me, you're not home, but you will be. Not in the natural, but there's a greater home that ultimately I'm longing for. And in those moments, I'm reminded, God, I want to find my home in you. Yes, I love those things about where I grew up, but God, I want to find my home in you. There's something about wanting that forms us. And my question for us is, could 
that, could we allow that wanting, that unfulfilled longing to form us toward Christ? The second thing is this, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, so there's wanting and there's waiting, and I am not talking about waiting at Walmart, although that could be a whole series in and of itself. Um, I'm talking about deep waiting. You ever notice how weird our relationship with time is? I mean, really, there was a time, friends, not, our, our expectations changed. Like, there was a time not that long ago that I thought that getting something from Amazon in two days was amazing, right? Now I'm like, two days? <laughs> You know, it's like the problem of progress. I'm like, i got to wait two days. Why don't I live somewhere where they just drop it from a drone? I mean, there are places like that. You know, I'm like, can I get it overnight? What are you going to charge me for overnight? Okay. And then I'm online. I'm like, I want that book. Okay, is it Amazon? Okay. If I got it at Barnes today, do they have it? You know, and our relationship with time is weird. I mean, and, and I get, like, we read in Scripture. I, I remember thinking one day, um, looking at the life of Moses and his experience, and in one page, it was like 40 years. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, no wonder, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like 40 years. And, and, and there are a lot of people in this room who are not qu- quite 40 yet. And, and so, like, your entire life is summed up, like, in this one page, right? You know, I mean, and that's our view of everything. We have this weird relationship with time. And, and I, I think, though, that there's something in waiting that is really stinking good for us. Um, though, again, those of you who are parents, you get that with your kids, it's good for your kids to wait at times, isn't it? It's good for us to wait. And there's a passage again, very familiar passage in Isaiah that we're going to wrap up with here this morning. Isaiah 40, uh, starting in verse 28, it, it, the point of it's toward the end of it, but I wanted this larger passage. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait, some translations say they who hope, same word, wait and hope, which I think is interesting. I think, and I think, just kind of a side note here, I think we could wait without hope, but we cannot hope without waiting. So I think there's something rich about the two of them together. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. Those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. If you look at that word there for, for wait, the root of it, there's, the root of it means to bind together by twisting. And there should be an image of a, of a rope that's braided. Think about a braid, if you've ever braided your child's hair or this rope here. You have these individual pieces that are braided together, bound together, you know, and I know that when you can see someone braiding hair, some you take those three pieces and you, you intertwine them. Same thing with the rope. And, and here's the thing that I think really encourages me is when you braid or bind together by twisting, it's very hard to see where one piece ends and the other begins. And I would submit to us that when we wait, hopefully, God binds us together with him. And my hope is that someone will look at me and say, I can't tell where she ends and God begins because she looks so much like him. She looks so much like him. And I think that, that is my prayer. This has changed the way I view waiting. Um, I may have said here before, even my mom has called me impatient. And moms are supposed to see the best in you. Patience is not my forte. Mom, I remember her saying that to me one day. You're very impatient. Really? <laughs> 
but this has changed the way I view waiting. It has changed my prayer when I am waiting. My prayer has become, God, bind me together with you so that when people look at me, they can't help but see you. They can't see where I end and you begin, not because of me, but because of you. So to wrap up, let me ask you, how are you being formed? And what is God's invitation to you in that formation? I'm going to send you home with a little bit of homework. Smile with me. I'm going to ask you to pay attention to one area this week where you feel like you may be formed. If you are deeply waiting for something, if you, are, if you feel like you have an unfulfilled longing, if you find yourself frustrated every stinking morning when you're driving to work because of the, what, what they call traffic here. <laughs> I'm from D.C. and L.A., right? But, but traffic, for, you know, for the context. You know, if you, if, you, if you find yourself, like at times me, trying to spend time with God and, like, naturally reaching for your phone, I'm like, well, I don't know. My phone is not even beeping. Why am I constantly reaching for my phone as I'm trying to read scripture and, and you know, things like that? Just, just one area this week. Pay attention to how you're being formed and then ask the Lord, what is his invitation for you? We invite him in in so many ways. What is his invitation for us into him? And why do we do this? I think it pleases him when his kids want to look like him. I do. I think it pleases him when we want to be like him. And I think our world needs a lot more people who look like him. Five minutes in the news this past week, we need more people who look like Jesus. Our city needs more people who look like Jesus. Amen? God, we look to you today and we thank you. God, God you're just you're so good to us. And there are areas of our own lives that you're working so deeply in. God, sometimes there are areas in our lives that you're working in that we don't recognize, and I pray for my friends here today that you would grant us eyes to see where you're working, maybe in an area we haven't seen. God, for those of us in the room who have a deep, unfulfilled longing, Lord, again, I, I say very carefully, um, God, do what you can do in our hearts this week to help us see you, the invitation into you, God, for those of us who are waiting for different things that are significant in our life, help us to see how you're forming us to, be, to look more like you in the midst of the waiting. And Lord, I pray that in all this, we individually and we as a family here at Solid Rock would look like you in a way that makes our neighborhoods say, man, God must be real because I saw him in my neighbor. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.